Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast production. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera here with you on a Monday. Just waiting for Vish Kumaran to hop in. Before we get started, please, everybody, rate, review, and follow the Gold Standard Podcast Network. And of course, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, to both YouTube channels, as this is actually live streaming on Vish's YouTube channel as well. So make sure you like and subscribe to the Vish Kumaran YouTube channel and to the Gold Standard Podcast YouTube channel. We always say if you take the time to leave a review, we will read it on the show. This one comes from Senkal21, five stars. Thank you very much. Great show went from my fourth or fifth Niner podcast. Listen to my first or second. Keep it up. You've had great guests as of recently. We will keep it up. I promise you we got some big things cooking, trying to get uh, Mike Greenberg of ESPN to uh, join us uh, this week or next. Hopefully that's going to happen and come down. Uh, and as always, we, uh, we like to get as many big guests as we can on the show. All right. So a little bit different show today because I think we got to bring a little sanity to the quarterback conversation. You know, normally when you talk about 49ers quarterbacks, it's always Brock Purdy and Trey Lance, Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. And why aren't they starting Trey? And are they making a mistake with Brock and this, that, and the other thing? So what I thought we would do on today's show is kind of take Trey Lance out of it for a minute and just kind of put him off to the side and just look at Brock Purdy specifically and what he can do as a player to get better, get worse, come back from the injury. He spoke recently uh, on the radio. So we're going to play a couple of clips from that as well, uh, just to see where he's at in his rehab and what he himself said he needs to improve on and get better at, because it seems like 
the Niners are pushing ahead with Brock, that there's really no question in their mind that he's going to be the number one starter. And that's what they're going to do. So if that's what they're going to do, then let's go ahead and look at it that way and look at Brock by himself without comparing him to Trey Lance. Albert Breer wrote in his Monday morning quarterback column for today that basically the whole building is behind Brock, that they think that he's going to be the guy. They think that he's going to be the best guy that they've ever had under Kyle Shanahan. And that's saying something because like it or hate it, this team was behind Jimmy Garoppolo. So for them to basically come out and say, we think Brock's going to be even better. Like that's surprising to me. Again, I think he's way better than Jimmy Garoppolo, but for them to get that out there to Albert Breer, that's pretty telling. So let's look at Brock and see where he is, where he needs to get better, all of that stuff. And again, I'll, I think Vish actually just popped in. Perfect timing by him. Vish. There we go. What's up, Rob? I'm really excited to try this new format with you of streaming to both of our channels. It's yeah, quite exciting. We got the, the simulcast, the StreamYard simulcast here. So we're going to, again, the Gold Standard YouTube channel and Vish Kumar and YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to both. And I was just kind of setting up the show about how we're going to take a look at Brock and what he is, what he isn't, where he needs to get better. Because I was just saying, you know, the Niners are clearly all in on him. They're telling Albert Breer that they think he's going to be the best quarterback that they've had in the Shanahan regime, which I think is kind of telling because they say what you want about Jimmy. The Niners liked Jimmy Garoppolo. So to put this out there, they think Brock's going to be even better tells you, you know, the support he has in the building. Right. And and I'm glad you brought up that the Niners like Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Because so much of our discourse, especially at the time I've been able to do this, has been surrounding the Niners not liking Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm -hmm. But I always go back to that 2017, right? And everyone says, hey, um, Kyle Shanahan wanted Kirk Cousins. And that's true. Kirk Cousins was his number one choice. But it was reported in the summer of 2017 that their number two choice was Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Ian Rappaport, there's a tweet from 2017 in August where he said that's a guy Kyle Shanahan liked before the draft and that that's somebody that the 49ers could consider. Uh, of course, Kirk Cousins was the choice, but Jimmy Garoppolo was the, um, I guess, the consolation. And they ended up going with the consolation, giving him a long-term contract. Now, going back to what you said about Purdy, you know, possibly being the best quarterback they've had since 2017, I, I think that's fair. Right. You and I, how many times did we say that he was playing the best of any quarterback we'd seen, even in that eight game stretch for the 49ers? And he's what, 23 years old. He was a rookie player. He was a seventh round pick without even the offseason to go through as being the starter. Now, he's probably not getting that opportunity this time because of injury. But the point is that, you know, he went through that entire process jumping in midseason and he still ended up playing better than any quarterback had played under Shanahan for the 49ers. So it's fair to see why they would have that estimation for Purdy's long term future. Hundred percent. And look, if he gets back healthy and and to the spot where he could play like he did before, um, there's no reason why, you know, we can't expect maybe not 30 points a game every game undefeated. Obviously, that bar is a little high, but. You know, I think there's reason to believe that he can be good enough, which is to me what the 49ers have been looking for. Let's get to Brock himself first before we get into this, because Brock was a guest on Fox Sports 910 AM in Arizona, and he talked about a couple of different things. First, he talked about just sort of 
the next step in his rehab process? Protocol is you start throwing at three months, um, but it all depends on how your you know therapy and, and your range of motion and everything goes um, up until that point. So there's definitely some boxes I have to check off first until I get to that point, but um, that's, that's the plan as of now. This three-month kind of check-in is going to be massively important for the 49ers. It's going to dictate so much of their season. Like he even said, they have no idea when he's going to be back. And so he needs to get the range of motion and the flexibility up. So what is it? June 10th, right? He had the surgery in March. So June 10th is going to be the day and it's going to be like, damn, we're going to find out like what to expect the rest of the way. And that's, you know, the three month period to me is so important, Rob, like because every single person that's, you know, a higher up either on the 49ers or Brock Purdy himself has mentioned that window and that being when they will kind of figure out what his exact return timetable is going to be. Now, John Lynch presented the most optimistic view of that, which was July 28th. And Kyle Shanahan presented a more realistic view of that, which was possibly week four, possibly week one, possibly week eight. We'll see at the three months. The reason it's so important to me too, Rob, is they believe so much in Brock Purdy that they've already named him the starter despite having to go through this three-month window. We are still, what, 20-something days removed from him having surgery. And I would think, actually, it would be easier to comment about Brock Purdy once you have a little more clarity on the timetable. So just wait on making any comments at on him until you see him throw at the three months window and you see how recovered he truly is. The interesting distinction here is that he's impressed them so much that they don't care about waiting for the three month window. They don't care about knowing exactly where he is. They think he's so impressive that they've already named him as the guy when he does come back and they're okay. Whenever that is, he will fall in barring, you know, exceptional play from either Trey Lance or Sam Darnold whoever ends up starting in the time that he misses. Yeah. And they're obviously confident that his arm strength is not going to be, you know, affected by the surgery or the injury or any of that. Cause like you said, they're, they're making no bones about it. They literally said if he wasn't hurt, he would have right. been the guy. So obviously they expect him to bounce back. Here's a little more from Brock about what he's been doing since the surgery. Last month or so, I've been, you know, just watching some games and going back to the basics of the playbook and my reads and my footwork and, even formations and motions yeah. and things like that. So you got to you gotta start getting that, you know, ingrained in you before you go back. And that's where I'm at. Love it. Home run. Love it. You want your quarterback to be in the nitty gritty, right? Like breaking down everything, footwork, fundamentals, timing, all of that stuff. And the fact that he's already doing that, you know, while he's trying to wait for his arm to bounce back. I loved hearing that. Oh, yeah. And there's another distinction, right? So my assumption with Brock Purdy, it was that he had to have impressed them not only on the field, but off the field for them to have such a belief that he was going to be able to return from this injury, right? When you're making claims when a guy is as injured as Brock Purdy is, that means you have such a belief already in the person that you believe that the person's going to be able to overcome, you know, whatever he's going to have to go through in this time period. And so I I think it's really, really cool to hear him talk about it because we've heard, you know, Shanahan even took the shot at Garoppolo in the owner's meeting as kind of a parting shot. Like, Hey, I can't keep in touch with Jimmy unless I see Jimmy. And (laughs) one of the things, you know, that's been kind of circulated, that's been reported a little bit more over the last couple of years is that Garoppolo would detach himself from football once football season ended. And he would come back to football once football season started. Now I'm not, 
asked, I'm not going to tell you whether that's right or wrong because we've seen quarterbacks who are going to be in the Hall of Fame, such as Ben Roethlisberger, do similar things. But, but the, it's clear that the 49ers wanted somebody who was committed to the process year long. And that was one of the things that drew them to Trey Lance because he was so committed to football. Football means a lot to him. Football means everything to him. And I think we're seeing that when we're going to we're going to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of Brock Purdy. I think his professionalism, his maturity, the fact that at 23 years old, he knows that football is the most important thing to him. And he knows what he needs to do to be successful at it is really, really cool. And I think the fact that even with his arm being as injured as it is, he's finding little ways to try and improve himself just speaks to uh, the character that the guy has. 100% agree with you. They must love him off the field as much as on. Uh, Van Matheson on YouTube says, <laughs> someone donate a poster or something to Vish. They want your background to get a little uh, a little spicier. But no, I totally agree. Oh, I talked about it with Trey Lance all the time. Like There are boxes that you want your franchise quarterback to check as they go along. And one of those is, is he a grinder, basically? Is he diving into the film? Is he looking at the little things? And with Lance, I kept saying that so far he was checking all the boxes. Well, it sounds like Brock Purdy's doing the exact same thing, which, again, when you separate the two, you want your quarterback, whoever it starts, to be doing these type of things in the offseason. Now, as we get into, well, you know what? Let's get into strengths first. Let's start with the positive with Brock, and then we'll get to where he needs to improve. I wrote down just off the top of my head, three strengths. And you tell me if you agree, disagree, whatever. Number one, escapability for sure. He demonstrated it multiple times last year, even when it was a one-on-one situation with a free rusher. That was not a guaranteed sack like it was with Jimmy Garoppolo. He could escape. That was his biggest. Number two, swag. Like, I think it is a strength of him. Yeah. His, he has the personality to deal with some some stars around him. And when you're the quarterback, you got to be the leader there. And I don't have any fear of him kind of um, bowing down a little bit to the, like, he's not afraid to order those guys around. And, and I would say that that's a little bit of a contrast between him and Trey Lance, right? They're just a year apart in age. And both of them have such incredible, exceptional maturity that, you know, it strikes anybody when you hear them talk. I think the little difference between the two is when we've heard Trey Lance talk, Sometimes he can be name dropping the 49ers stars. He can sound a little starstruck, like, hey, I'm practicing with Fred Warner. Hey, look, me and Debo Samuel hang out, all of that. Whereas we saw Brock Purdy on a Thursday night interview giving George Kittle crap. Like, yo, no, I'm the quarterback. And I, I think that that's I think that's something definitely with Brock Purdy that he has this maturity and he just understands what his job is and he doesn't seem rattled by, you know, the San Francisco spotlight of being the 49ers quarterback, you know, having to deal with all these different star players at all. Yeah, I, I loved it. And I love that, like, when he came in, he wasn't like, oh, I'm just, you know, here going to put my head down. Like, in the postgame press conferences, he was like that. But on the field, he's over there doing the yell on the field. He's doing the finger guns after throwing a touchdown pass. <laughs> like, I think he gave this team a little confidence because I think they were shaken at that point, Vish. They were like, oh, man, we've lost two quarterbacks. Now we're on this guy who was the last pick in the draft. Like, our season, you know, this win now, we always hear this win now team, blah, blah, blah. Well, he came in and he just didn't steady the ship. He said, no, like, we're driving this thing. Let's go. Right, right. That a long way inside that locker room to why he's so beloved, which is why the third strength I wrote down is leadership because he, he understood that 
right? Like he recognized that that's what he needed to show in that moment. And he did it and it came and it wasn't forced. Like sometimes with Russell Wilson, it feels so forced and practiced and phony. It came off as authentic. And I think the fact that he recognized what the team needed is a massive point in his favor. Yeah. And I I agree with all of those. I thought we were going to talk a little bit, maybe more of the technical football uh, stuff about him, but I I can, but I, I do agree with you on all three strengths. I think his moxie and his swagger, I, I don't necessarily like using those things as quarterback traits and all of that. But with Brock Purdy, there was something that was obvious. And I do think the point that you just made is one of the most underrated points in the entire Brock Purdy thing. The fact that the team probably felt very defeated when Garoppolo got hurt. And you get Brock Purdy comes in, first plays zero pressure, and he finds his hot right away, which is not exactly something you would expect. Yep. You know, backup quarterback who's gotten no reps to know exactly where to go with the ball, first play. In the NFL, rookie guy gets a zero pressure. Miami Dolphins were 8-3 and three at the time. They had won five in a row. They were rolling through everybody. And I think the Niners were down 7-3 seven, seven, at that point, too, when he came into the game. And so for him to do that was definitely exceptionally impressive, Rob. And I think that the confidence that he gave his teammates is something that I think was a little circumstantial because the expectations when he came in were like, oh, my God, the season's over. And then, oh, he's actually pretty good. Wait, 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 the season's back on. But then at the same time, for a guy to come into this situation and not just be scared, not like try to, you know, for he's driving a Ferrari, right? This offense with the play caller and the weapons, it's a Ferrari. He not only tried to drive the Ferrari to not crash it because the situation is so good, he was speeding with the Ferrari. He right. was going 90 and a 50. Yes, that's a perfect analogy. He was like, guess what? We're faster than everybody else. We have a Ferrari. And so credit to him for doing that. I want to get this in from Corey because he dropped us a super chat. Thank you very much. Ask chat GPT about the quarterback debate. It's fun. Presents the situation exactly and neutrally. Can't form an opinion yet, but here comes the new world. Uh, I don't have a ton of experience with chat GPT, but like, why not? Let's get one more quarterback opinion in the 49ers Twitter verse. What? Okay, so what other strengths with Brock did you want to mention? Um, The escapability is definitely one. The quickness is definitely one. I think he has a very natural feel to playing quarterback. He has a natural instinct to playmake, right? Uh, I say this all the time. I don't think it gets talked about enough. I think we attribute quarterbacks into archetypes based on their physical attributes way too quickly, and we do it all the time during the draft process, right? The guy's big and he can run. We immediately say, all right, that guy's got off-schedule ability. And if the guy is not so big and he's not that athletic, we say that guy doesn't have off-schedule ability, right? Two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL provide the antithesis of this. Joe Burrow is a big guy, but he doesn't have a particularly strong arm, and he's definitely – he's got quickness, but not the same athletic foot speed as a Justin Herbert, who's also got a bigger arm. But Joe Burrow is the more natural, instinctive playmaker off-schedule, whereas Justin Herbert, while he does have a feel for that, it's not the same as Brock Purdy's feel. And so – the reason, or excuse me, Joe Burrow's feel. And where mm-hmm. it comes to with Brock Purdy is that he has a very natural instinct to make plays off schedule, even though he's not the biggest guy, he's not the fastest guy, though he has exceptional foot quickness, and he doesn't have the strongest arm. He just has a natural way of doing it. You go back to the Tampa Bay game, right? First window on a little boot gets taken away. He slips the guy, makes a miss, goes underneath him, and then throws that little funny body sidearm angle to Debo 
for like an eight yard gain, right? Like very, very impressive play from the quarterback, but it just shows how naturally instinctive he is, the spatial awareness to understand slipping the guy. Now, I am a little bit hesitant to fully attribute this trait on him, Rob, only because I also watched a lot of his snaps at Iowa State, um, especially recently, uh, just to go back and try and see what we really miss with him. Um, in the draft process. And the thing that we we did miss is that with all this confidence, all this natural playmaking, all this moxie, there were also a lot of really stupid plays at Iowa State. <laughs> and those didn't happen with the 49ers at all. And I wonder if that's just because Iowa State was always dealing with the talent discrepancy and the 49ers are always ahead when it comes to whoever they're facing in terms of talent. Or if it just was that he was a little bit lucky in those eight games and he wasn't as lucky in Iowa State. That could be a possibility too, to get a real grip of that we're going to need a larger sample size but all in all he does have a very natural instinct to playing the position he has a natural instinct especially early when he first came in the first three four games rob when he was playing within the offense he was playing on time and on schedule the ball was coming out the moment his back foot hit the ground he was playing the position very very naturally and very very well now over the course of the season i thought he got a little bit enamored with himself and started playing off schedule a little bit too much First half against Dallas is a great example. Second half, he settled down and went back to being Brock Purdy. And I thought he left plays on the field because he was trying to get out of the pocket. He was trying to make some plays at times. We will see which quarterback he actually is. The 49ers seem to think he's 100% the first quarterback that they saw. But I, I, I do think that that's definitely something he has. He's just very instinctive at playing the position to compensate for the physical limitations he has. And I went back and looked at Kyle's press conference immediately after Trey Lance was drafted. And one of the things Kyle specifically mentioned is he thought that Trey had a very natural feel for the right. position. So clearly that's something that he values because uh, it was one of the things that Kyle specifically said is the reason why they drafted and Trey Lance. hasn't said it since, right? Hasn't said it since. Maybe he thought he was natural and then he got him in there and uh, not so natural. Uh, MGM production says thoughts on if the team decided to sign Cam Newton instead of Darnold to push the rookies in camp or possibly start week one, barring a Trey trade. I didn't like the Sam Darnold trade. I think I are signing. I think I would like Cam Newton even less. Like I'm not even sure that dude can throw a football anymore. Yeah. And even with Cam, I just feel like he is because he was so big at Auburn had one of the greatest college seasons we've ever seen, right? Like took a team with like two NFL players and won the national championship running through the gauntlet. (laughs) That is the sec. And then he won an MVP and he was so good in Carolina for so long. It's like, I, he just doesn't fit the back of mold of a team. That's always sitting in quarterback controversy. Darnold at least is a name of a guy that has talent, but also has 55 games in the NFL of a sample size of him starting and not looking so good. So looking if Sam awful. Darnold goes to the bench, nobody's going to be screaming, Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold. Cam Newton, no matter how not so good the last year in Carolina looked and how inconsistent the COVID year in New England was, he's still Cam freaking Newton. And for a team <laughs> that's always dealing with this quarterback question mark and quarterback controversy and all of this, it's not going to make it any better to throw in another name in there that, you know, adds buzz and adds circulation. They did that last year with Jimmy Garoppolo. And then of course they had Jay Glazer reported right two weeks later that they called, by the way, I wonder who leaked that always. I wonder who leaked that. I think it was one of the players, but they called in the 16 leaders and said, Hey guys, we need you guys to prop up Trey Lance. We need you guys to make it look like it's all Trey Lance, Trey Lance, this Trey Lance, this all the time. So I I don't think Cam would make sense from that standpoint. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Nicholas Parra, thank you very much. Great show, guys. Are we going to get either of you in a home or away game this season? Talk to my friend John Chapman and make it happen. It'll be great to meet you and also see your takes after witnessing the game live. So that is something I want to do at some point. I want to either go to a game in San Francisco or I know Levin is really pushing me to go to the Steelers game this year in Pittsburgh because he's he lives in that area. Michelle right. used to live in Pittsburgh. Um, but I would like to get all of us together and like I would love to do a show from a stadium. I think that would be awesome. Um, do you have any interest in that? So I've actually gone to back-to-back games in Chicago. I've also gone to John's party both times in Chicago I guess I never met Nicholas there maybe Nicholas didn't come to Chicago or I don't know what happened there but yeah those are really really fun I'm just not a big fan of watching games at the stadium Rob when I watch football games live I like sitting in my room I like having a tv on I don't like having people to talk to I don't like people you know giving their whatever stupid (laughs) opinions or stupid questions I like watching the game there's a personal enjoyment there. I'm not a big fan of the stadium atmosphere or anything like that. Like I watch the game for the game. That's it. Nothing else. And so I, I because of that, I just constantly like feel like, damn, like I, I, I got to drop like what, 800 bucks for the entire trip, the ticket, all of that to go there to do something that's fun. But, you know, I as a fan, like my interest is in watching the game, not the entire fandom and rooting and cheering and being in the stadium atmosphere. And so actually, like, funnily enough, Rob, like the last two Chicago games, the first game, I got a free ticket, the week eight game that, you know, Debo had the crazy third and 15 play. And I was sitting midfield, but at the top of the stadium. So I was basically the all 22 camera. And I loved (laughs) watching the game there. I loved watching the game there. I moved a couple of seats to the right. Nobody sat next to me. I was up top. I loved watching the game there. This time, I was a little bit more with family. It was my sister's birthday on 9-11. I bought her her ticket as well. So we were kind of sitting in a funny spot, but we were way lower. We were watching the game up close. Of course, the monsoon sucked, but I didn't really enjoy the ga- watching the game there. I didn't really enjoy the loudness. You know, the Bears fans were getting the Miller lights going and all of that. So in terms of watching a game, Rob, I, I don't know if I'm too keen of going outside of Chicago and doing that just because it's not my cup of tea. You hate people. I get it. Like it's just it's wow, okay to wow. say it. You wow. you don't like people. That like, you don't want to be in touch with the listener. No. Actually, two things. One, I'm with you. Like I like to take notes during the game. I have pages of notes during every game. And you know me. I love hearing the broadcast and the little nuggets that they throw in there that the announcers say during a game because I think there's a lot of information that can be gleaned from that. 
that you obviously can't get if you're watching the game in the stadium. I have never actually been to an NFL football game. Wow. In my life. Wow. I have no, like you said, like I've never had a desire to go. And I always felt like I'd be missing out, especially like on the other games that week. Cause I always had a, a show to produce on Monday morning too. So like, I couldn't just be oblivious to everything else that happened around the league. Whereas, you know, if you're in that stadium, you're kind of there. So that was always tricky for me. Um, okay. Are there any other strengths with Brock Purdy that you want to mention before we move on to where we'd like to see him improve? Yeah. His accuracy is definitely a strength. His accuracy can be weird at times. Cause when he's playing on time, I think, and I, he talked about it, right? He talked about the timing in that particular interview, how throwing a slant to Debo is different from throwing a slant to Ayuk, right? Because Ayuk runs a lot of those one-step slants. Debo doesn't run as many one-step slants. So the timing is a little bit different. When he's on time, Rob, and his back foot's hitting the ground and everything's flowing in rhythm, he's usually pretty accurate. But the moment the timing is a little bit off, sometimes balls can go a little bit haywire and there can be a few ugly Brock Purdy misses that we probably don't talk about a lot because he doesn't miss that much. But I do think accuracy overall is a strength for him. Okay, because it didn't sound like that. (laughs) Are you sure? No, no, I do. I do. I was just saying that, you know, as even though accuracy is a strength, his accuracy also relies on his timing. And he does have a good sense of timing, but he needs to play on time and on schedule as much as possible. Sometimes in the second half of the season, he didn't do that. Let's listen to Brock himself explain where he wants to improve next year. And this is the soundbite that you alluded to. Footwork, being on time. You know, every concept has its own timing. And, you know, there was times last year where you could just tell, you know, um, I was still getting used to things even when I was playing. Um, the timing of a, of a slant, you know, with Brandon Ayuk compared to Debo Samuel. There, there's two different you know, types of routes. And so getting used to that kind of thing, um, that's something that I have to hammer away at in the offseason. Love it. I love the self-scouting, essentially, from from Brock there. He has figured out where he needs to change and adapt, and uh, I think he's right. Like, that stuff only comes, though, with reps, with competition, which is why it's frustrating because of his injury. He's not going to get that in this offseason. Like, now is the time where you can build that up. You can go work out with guys and throw a million passes over and over and over again, especially when it's just you and the receivers, right? No coaches around, none of that. You can really get into the nitty gritty. You don't have to worry about if a pass is off target, somebody's going to give you crap or whatever. And it's just unfortunate with Purdy and with Lance, although to a lesser degree, Lance, because he's going to be right. healthier. But it just stinks that the Niners haven't been able to have that with their quarterback. Right. And I, I that's actually the, I see a lot of people commenting on, you know, his health, will his arm strength return. That's actually the number one thing I'm most worried about with Brock Purdy. It's not the arm strength returning. It's not even the injury in particular. It's the fact that he's going to go through this offseason without getting those reps. And those are important. How many quarterbacks can you remember skipping the entire offseason, coming in week one, you know, fresh and playing great? Now, how many of those quarterbacks do you know that have just eight starts behind them (laughs) are coming into a team with real Super Bowl expectations and are going into their second year, right? NFL players always talk about how that second year offseason is the most important. Because that first year, before you go into the NFL, half your offseason is spent training for the draft. It's not training for the football season. You're training for the combine. You're training for your pro day, all of that. The second offseason is when you actually go through the process of training. George Kittle always says he doesn't get surgery, right? Remember his rib injury that he never got surgery on? Everybody kept asking about. He said, I don't want to get surgery because I don't want to rehab. I want to train in the offseason. I want to get better. I don't get better rehabbing. And so 
the fact that he's going to be spending the entire offseason rehabbing, and it's not just Tavarius says A-Rod. A-Rod comes back for training camp. Brock Purdy is a question mark on coming back for training camp. At the very least, he's going to miss the start of it. So, and so those reps I'm a little bit worried about. I wish somebody asked Kyle Shanahan a question. Completely dissimilar situations, but he's gone through a rookie quarterback having a stellar rookie season, getting injured at the end of it, and having to rehab the entire offseason with Robert Griffin III. Now, there were some other circumstances surrounding Robert Griffin's dad wanting the offense to be run a certain way, the ownership being a certain way, but I would love for one of our beat reporters to draw that parallel and ask a question of what he learned from that situation and how he's going to apply it to Brock Purdy. Sometimes I feel like there's a little bit too much pressure on Brock Purdy right now, Rob. I feel like, hey, this is a guy that's only 20-something days removed from surgery, and we're talking about him coming back week four. We're talking about the expectations on this football team. We're talking about him having to return to playing at a pretty high level, which is what he was playing at at the end of last year. Is it all fair to put that on him? When he's rehabbing such a serious injury this offseason, I do question that a lot, Rob. The 49ers do not seem to think so. They've been putting that pressure on him from day one of this offseason, Kyle Shanahan said. Even before Brock Purdy got that second opinion that he was only going to be out six months, he'll be throwing after three months. Remember that entire thing he did yep. at his entire in at his end of the season pressure where he was angry? So that would be one thing I am a little bit worried about more than anything, Rob. It's not the injury as much as the fact that there's pressure on him to play, not only, you know, play, but play very well coming back from this injury. And, you know, there's going to be a process where he's got to get his feet under him and he might not have that time. No, 49ers are a win now team. They don't have time, Vish. They don't have time to deal with any of that. But no, I agree. And I think this, the Trey Lance side of this has kind of, obscured people's view of that no one not many people are focusing on that the Niners are kind of been let off the hook from that criticism because people are always like well Trey Lance you know whatever Sam Darnold but you're right there is pressure on Brock to come back especially if regardless of who starts the Niners lose early in the season that's going to be a thing and and Stefania Bell talked about it with Steph Sanchez about we want return to performance not just return to play You want him to, when he comes back, we want him to be the guy that we remember from last year. And that may not be the case if he feels pressure. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. My bad. That's okay. If he just feels pressure to to get back as soon as possible because he's going to lose his job. And there's a mental aspect to that, right? Not just the mental aspect of the pressure you talked about with his job, the mental aspect of the injury. Not That was kind of a freak play that Hassan Reddick hit him on. His arm is going back and he snapped his arm as it was going back. He snapped it. And, well, you know, how does Purdy respond to going through this serious injury and process? Like, even if he responds the right way, how long does it take for him to get fully comfortable? I think these are all questions that are just not being asked because so much of the focus is Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, Brock Purdy, and all of this. And I think the 49ers are kind of avoiding having to answer these questions. But, yeah. I would love the answer to that question. Grant, make it happen, Grant Cohen. You said you asked a bunch of my questions before at the league meetings, which is true. He did. So shout out to you. Let's do it again. Uh, Corey, I missed the super chat earlier. That's my bad. It's going to cause an eye roll. He says, but I think Purdy may be interception prone. I've never seen a quarterback so lucky with drops. I mean, right to DBs. Maybe he was just a rook. There was some luck last year with some interceptions with Brock Purdy. Absolutely. Uh, That does happen with every quarterback, but yeah, I think like, it's unreasonable to expect he's going to go 13 and four touchdown to interception ratio. He probably did get a little lucky. 
Sure, he did get lucky. Um, he also did do a better job than the other quarterbacks at taking care of the ball. Um, right. The other quarterback also did get lucky quite a bit and still threw quite a lot of interceptions. So that's <laughs> right. part of the um, situation here. The only thing that really has me maybe a little bit more worried um, to answer that question about those interceptions, whether he's interception prone or anything like that is just, I just lost my train of thought. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> happens to the best of us. I'm just trying to Google real quick. Uh, Brock Purdy in college, 81 touchdowns, 33 interceptions, and he never threw double digit interceptions in any mm -hmm. season in college. So that's a good sign. Um, and again, just raw interception numbers are not oh. always the most uh, clear indication of, you know, quarterbacks making bad decisions or something like that. Yeah. And what I wanted to say is there were a few drops and misplays from receivers and stuff like that le left yards and touchdowns yep. on the field for him, too. So it goes both ways. Um, definitely. He did get lucky at times. But, yeah, there were a few plays that were in there. Now, the one distinction I would like to draw, Rob, is unlike the, his predecessor or his predecessor's predecessor, depending on how you view the timeline of the 49ers situation, it wasn't the same ball that kept, get thrown, kept getting thrown into the wrong spot, right? Like where he sees the defender, but he just refuses to throw around him and he thinks he can throw right through him and hits him in the chest, right in the middle of the field, right? The little robber that rolls down, takes the second window crosser. Yep. Great. We've seen this 25 times. Same pick, same ball thrown, mistake made, whatever. We saw different kinds of things, right? One was a tip ball that was on an RPO that Trevon Diggs dropped in the playoffs. There was one versus Tampa Bay that he just misread leverage and he threw one right. I think it did end up being a pick that was called back because of holding. Um, so it wasn't the same mistake made over and over again. And that's where he seems like a guy that's going to be cognizant about sitting and working and working through what went wrong on those plays and understanding and learning from them. So there is a little bit of a difference, I think, in calling him turnover prone because he also wasn't just, you know, dropping the ball and fumbling like, for example, a quarterback on the 49ers currently was at the beginning of his career in one Sam Darnold. Oh, God. Um, and let's be real, too. Like the 49, the, the narrative of, oh, the 49ers can't sacrifice games to Trey Lance's development because they have a win now team. They're still going to have growing pains with Brock Purdy. I know he came in and he looked good last year, but like he's still, you know, going to need he, he's still a rookie, essentially. If you just look at raw games in terms of experience, yeah. there's still going to be growing pains with Brock Purdy. And that's not meant to be a knock on Brock. That's just literally anybody coming into the league with that amount of experience. And, and so for me, the question would be, and this is where, again, questions just don't get asked. Ask Kyle Shannon to elaborate on what development in particular Trey Lance needs that perhaps a Sam Darnold doesn't need. So is it that Shanahan is it that it's not that just that Lance needs to play Shanahan feels like he can't call the offense a certain way with Lance under center whereas he trusts those other two guys to execute the offense a certain way is it certain pass concepts he feels like he can't call because right. Lance is under center is it certain run plays certain motions that he feels like Lance isn't calling correctly or certain checks he's not getting into cuz those would be the little details that would make us understand okay other than hey because I feel like all three quarterbacks are going to have growing pains next year, right? Darnold's going to have the growing pains of he's just not been a very good quarterback, though very talented so far in the NFL. And he's now in a new situation with a new offense. There's going to be natural growing growing pains there regardless. 
Purdy is going to have the growing pains of having to come back from this injury and having no offseason. He's going to have to get some timing, some rhythm, all of those things back. It's going to take time. It's not going to happen naturally. And then Lance is going to have the growing pains of just about everything because we've only seen four (laughs) games and we're not 100% sure what he is or what he isn't. And that's where I would love for Shanahan to elaborate what the differences are. Now, he may not answer a question like that because it might be a little too detailed, but the nice thing about the Niners media, he's never in a position to think about anything of that such. (laughs) Um, So, okay, as we continue to look at where Purdy can improve next year, he mentioned the timing and the footwork and some of that. One of the things I'd love to see from him is getting vertical in the pocket when he feels pressure. He he likes to roll out to his left specifically when there's pressure. And especially in the red zone, I thought that one play, I think it was against Tampa Bay where he drops back, nothing's there, and he steps up and he goes right in the end zone. That to me, I was screaming like, yes, at the TV, because that is such a weapon in the red zone. Just the threat of that changes how the defenses play you but it wasn't something he did a ton of if you go back and look at his game right you look at his rushing totals he usually in let's see i'm just looking really quick one two three of his starts in the regular season he had negative rushing yards so he was not getting vertical in the pocket and using it to gain yards and i think that's something that he can do next year a little bit better i agree with you you and i talked about that even when we were complimenting the hell out of Brock Purdy through that final stretch run. We said there's one thing he doesn't do. He doesn't seem to climb the pocket. Now, that could be a size issue, right? He's just short, and he feels like if he climbs the pocket, he's restricting his vision, whereas if he moves out the backside of the pocket, now opens up more space for him to see everything downfield. Um, I would be on the same exact um, wavelength as you, Rob, but I'm going to go with a little different detail just because we've mentioned that other one before. It's playing on time and on schedule all the time. For In my opinion, for Brock Purdy to be a star quarterback, that's who he has to be. He has to be yeah. someone that's a ball distributor that just knows where to go with the ball when his back foot hits the ground and is delivering the ball consistently accurately. And it, for a lot of the season, Rob, when he did play for those eight games, he was exactly that guy. Now, there were moments where he wasn't that guy, and I felt like the 49ers offense fell into some trouble. And there's a great example, right? Rich Madrid, our good buddy, he posted a thread from the Raiders game of Purdy missing a few throws. Now, every quarterback misses throws. He is nitpicking, sure, but he's providing an example there. Oh, thank you, Wainsey. Appreciate that. He's he's providing an example there of, hey, this is a throw that he's got to make so that he can continue to be growing and he can continue to fulfill his potential. And if he's not making this throw consistently, this is something that could hurt him. The reason one of those throws in particular that was very important to me is they were running mirrored corner stops. They love running this play, seven stops. They call them swirl routes. They love running them to take a shot in their two-minute drill, right? It's a drop back. It's a three-man concept. They have a flat to one side, and then they have a little delay, Hank route, whatever, you know, stop route with the back out of the backfield right in front of the quarterback. That's the check down. It was versus cover two versus the Raiders. He didn't throw the throw the ball. He threw it to the flat and checked it down. Fine decision. They got eight yards. The reason the distinction is there, the Tampa Bay game, when we were first all getting blown away by top Brock Purdy, Tampa Bay has a late coverage rotation to cover six, and he rips the swirl route to the cover two side. <laughs> yep. It's the same exact throw almost. His back foot hits the ground and he rips it. I remember posting that play right after the Tampa Bay game being like, hey, this is a throw Trey Lance was hesitating on. This is a throw Jimmy Garoppolo would pass up for reasons I could never understand. (laughs) This is why he's playing a little bit better than those guys because he's making that throw. 
And that kind of depreciated over the course of the season. So if I would say one thing I guess he needs to improve on, and it sounds like he's talking about the same thing, it's playing on time and on schedule all the time. These weapons are so good. This offense has so many answers. They just need a quarterback who can deliver the ball consistently, not hesitate and be aggressive in his decision-making. That's who Brock Purdy was for a lot of last year. I thought it yep. slowed down over the course of the end, especially in the playoffs as well, Rob, despite the stats being what the stats were. Um, so I, I would say that that would be one thing I would like to see from him when he gets back. Because if he plays like that guy with the talent the Niners have in Shanahan, they're going to score 35 points every game on offense. Hell yeah, they are. Nick Eller on YouTube. Playing on time, I think, was Trey's issue, too. He was hesitant, but also to be expected with lack of reps. I think there is an element to whoever the quarterback is, and especially I think like what you're talking with Brock, how kind of as we got later in the year and the games got bigger and meant more, there is an element of this win now, like, hey, we're the Niners. We're going for a Super Bowl. Don't screw it up kind of yeah. a thing. And so I wonder if with Brock, as it went along, if he was, you know, when he first got in, he was just letting it rip because it's like, I may never get to play again. I'm going right. to I'm going to go for it. Then, OK, we've locked up the division. We're, we're playing in the playoffs. We're winning in the playoffs. Now we're, you know, against the Cowboys. It's a huge right. game. We could potentially go to the NFC championship game. All of a sudden it's. Uh oh, maybe I could do this. Just don't screw it up. I think that's only natural for anybody, especially somebody as inexperienced as Brock and Trey when he was in there. And you, you, you just got to get over that. And that's an outstanding segue, Rob, because that would be the one kind of excuse I would give Brock Purdy because the Shanahan and all of it, we don't know, right? We're not in the quarterback room. We don't know what Shanahan's telling him. Shanahan yep. might have been telling him, hey, I love how you're playing without hesitation. But our defense is so damn good, and we're such so good as a football team. We don't need you doing that much. It's okay if you check the ball down. I'm okay with that type of a decision. Just make sure that you don't give the game away, right? Shanahan talked about in the owners' meeting, one of his points of growth was that he was calling the game less as an offensive coordinator, less about making his offense score, and more complimentary towards his defense. The Dallas game is a great example, right? The Niners were not aggressive really at all in that football game because they felt like the only way they were going to lose is if they threw the game away by giving the ball away. And they felt like over the course of the game, they would be able to out physical and overwhelm Dallas. And that's what ultimately happened. And so that's the one excuse I'll give Purdy where, you know, maybe perhaps some of the throws that he started passing up and leaving on the field were just a product of the 49ers also wanted him to maybe play that way because they felt like the team was so good that even if he was taking chances and whatever, it was more worth it for him to play conservatively rather than aggressively because they felt like the only way they would lose is if he would give the ball away. So that's the one excuse I would give him in the point of that conversation. And that's the one thing we can never know, Rob, and it's tough to just put blame on one individual watching the film because we don't know what he's being told or how he's being coached. Yeah, I think it's probably both, right? It could be, it's probably some from column A and some from column B. Uh, speaking of segues, I want to get to this. This is from RLB to ESQ. <laughs> Stats and Vish, what do you guys think about JT O'Sullivan's video about Kyle Shanahan? For anybody that doesn't know, on April Fool's Day, JT O'Sullivan put out a quarterback breakdown of, of the big three quarterback injuries for the Niners last year, Lance, Garoppolo, and Purdy. But he did it as if he was interviewing Kyle Shanahan and he dressed up as Shanahan and oh my God, he looked just like him. Yeah. Um, 
but he dressed up as Kyle Shanahan and he kind of threw some shade at Kyle a little bit. I think it was mostly an April Fool's thing, but there was some truth to it. And one of the things he said was that the straight drop back passing game of Shanahan is not as sophisticated as the other parts of the playbook, as the run game, as the play action game. And it doesn't let the quarterback kind of develop. It's very much a progression based one read one, read two, read three, throw the ball here. And that's an interesting part too of, of development for whatever quarterback starts. Is that is Kyle's desire for control going to slow or limit the development of a quarterback? Uh, time will tell that, right? He's worked with so many veteran quarterbacks. Um, I know a lot of people are unhappy with where the Trey Lance development is, but that story is not complete yet. And so we still have to wait a little bit more before we start writing that story with Shanahan, too. We have to see a little bit more. Um, but I, I do think the pass game, uh, I guess, kind of criticism of Shanahan is a fair one. We've heard that about this particular offense for years now. They're just not that proficient at the drop back pass game because so much of it is about being able to meld the run in the pass, right? Make it look the same. So, so much of it is about running the football to set up play action. That's what they're trying to do offensively. So philosophically, they're not in a lot of drop back situations because they're, you know, running eight different motions on every single play to be able to shift your grab three times and shift your responsibility four times so they can make you <laughs> miss a gap in the run game because you don't know which gap you're accounting for. And so, they do do an excellent job of creating advantages in the run game that way, which then segues to their play action game. But yeah, they're not built to be a drop back pass team. I, I feel like I've said this one before. Somebody asked me, I think it was speaking of John Chapman. I think when I went on his show a couple years ago, he asked me after they drafted Trey Lance, what's the number one thing that makes me nervous about this offense? And I said, it was the drop back pass game. I felt like Trey Lance wasn't equipped as a quarterback to handle the drop back pass game. I didn't feel like it was a strength of Jimmy Garoppolo's. I didn't feel like it was a strength of the offense. So I think it's a fair criticism across the board. We saw McVay kind of adjust by getting a quarterback who's very, very adept at the dropback pass game in Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford, excuse me. We saw Shanahan have better success in the dropback pass game when he had a quarterback like Matt Ryan, who was, again, very, very adept at it. Perhaps Trey Lance can become a guy that's very, very good at it. Perhaps Brock Purdy can become a guy that's very, very good at it. But I do think it's a fair criticism because philosophically, that's not what their offense is built to do, and that's not what they're trying to do. They're not trying to be a team that drops back 50 times. They're trying to drop back within the efficiency of their offense, and it starts with their run game. And everything they do is to set up their run game. I feel like everything they do is to avoid the straight drop back right, passing right. game. Everything they do is that they don't want to be in that situation. They want to be able to run the ball. They want to be able to play play action. They want to be able to keep the game close enough where they could rely on their defense. They don't ever want to get in a situation where, oh crap, we're down multiple scores. We can't rely on the play action as much. We have to just do straight drop back passing and work our way down the field. That is, that is they the They don't exact- have the personnel for it either, right? They don't have these receivers that just you know win on every single route you just line them up on the outside they're real technicians they're getting off of man coverage they're getting off of off coverage they don't really do that even if you look at a lot of their third downs uh the way they package them up a lot of them are about getting one particular guy on one particular matchup and trying to have that guy win right the guy they isolate the most actually on third down is juan jennings funnily enough and he wins a lot and he wins good (laughs) matchups but 
they're not they're they're trying to avoid that situation. In fact, Rob, I would wonder if that's another thing that drew them to Trey Lance. They felt like the quarterback run game would make third and five and third and six and third and seven rundowns. Yeah. And I think that with the way Kyle called the game when Trey was in there, I think that kind of played itself out on the field. Um just to 187 watching on YouTube, y'all making it sound like we're kicking Trey Lance out. No, if you missed it earlier in the show, we're we're just trying to look at Brock Purdy on today's show. We're, we're just putting Trey Lance to the side because too often when you talk about the 49ers quarterbacks, everybody mentions both. And we're just trying to look at Brock as the guy because the 49ers kind of see him as the guy. So that's why we're not talking as much about Trey Lance. I like this comment, too, from Fable JVC. I like that J.T. O'Sullivan pointed out Debo's half-assed effort on the play that got Brock Purdy hurt. Uh, that was a thing. So basically, Debo, if you remember, was coming around on sort of an orbit motion on the play. And according to J.T. O'Sullivan, he didn't really think that Debo sold it as well as he could have, which is part of the reason the pass rush didn't have to fear the run as much. Or maybe the pass rush would say, I might not get home. Let me go cover Debo. Or, or be in the area to try and disrupt this pass if Debo gets out there. But because Debo didn't hustle, they didn't really have to do that. What did you think of that criticism? Yeah, I think it's a fair criticism. I think that one opens a gigantic rabbit hole because is that, you know, Shanahan not getting on the player enough? But then that that seems like anti-Shanahan, like not getting on a player. Like, right. That's and how did Debo Shanahan avoid the doghouse? Right, right. How did he avoid the doghouse and all of that? So... I, I think there is some fair criticism of Debo Samuel. I don't know if it's necessarily effort, but he did not exactly block as well as the 49ers, other two receivers that saw the field a little bit more. Jennings and Ayuk definitely blocked better than him across the board. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's, we're getting, it, it's funny because I'm glad he released that interview on April Fool's because for somebody that hates living in the world of conjecture and speculation, J.T. O'Sullivan was doing quite a lot of it on April <laughs> Fool's. I think that some of it was April Fool's like, haha. because if you watch his other videos, he compliments Kyle Shanahan all the time. He does right. call him a great play caller. He does. He, he compliments him a lot. So I think some of it was, haha, this is April Fool's. But I do think some of it was. No, this is a real thing. He talked about nepotism a lot in the video about how, you know, Kyle was the beneficiary of growing up in the NFL, how his dad was a Hall of Fame coach and how he wouldn't have gotten his opportunity so quickly if his last name wasn't Shanahan. And I think that's totally legitimate. I also yeah, think it's but legitimate. It's, you, know, you know, here's what gets me a little bit salty as a 49ers fan hearing JT O'Sullivan talking about it, JT O'Sullivan would have never started a damn game for the 49ers. If it wasn't for him being Mike Martz's anointed son, right? Mike Martz loved JT O'Sullivan as a son. And that's why the guy who had no business starting for the 49ers started three games for the 49ers in 2008. So it's funny to hear him take that dig. And that one got me a little bit annoyed just because I love JT O'Sullivan as an analyst, but Eight-year-old me just was so unhappy that he was starting at quarterback for the 49ers. Like, I don't know if I've ever been more upset about a guy starting at quarterback for the 49ers than J.T. O'Sullivan. Um, Wait, eight-year-old you was really fired up about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. My dad was fired up about it, too. So, like, he he kind of, like, got me fired up about it. You know, it was one of those <laughs> I think things. it's I think it's fair to say that Kyle probably wouldn't have gotten 
as such a fast right. start I'll, as he oh, got. Oh, no, 100%. And he hit a, He did get the best line, right, which was the Gruden QC job is just a <laughs> pipeline that dads put their sons, which was really funny because Sean McVay got that one, and we know about his NFL connections. Kyle Shanahan got that one. We know whose son he is. And then, of course, there's the other one, which was Nathaniel Hackett, who's Paul Hackett's son. So that was three in a row that were the QCs for John Gruden that uh, <laughs> were all – in the nepotism pipeline, which I thought that dig was hilarious. It was funny, but like, I think it's also true that Kyle might've gotten a head start or definitely got a head start, but also like he is a good coach. And so the rapid ascension that I think Shanahan had, I think he's earned, but you can't ascend if you don't get your foot in the door. And I think his last name definitely helped. And JT did point out that Kyle has done a great job of getting opportunities for other people, particularly minorities go look i think the 49ers have gotten more draft picks from minority hirings than any other team and jt did point that out so i thought he was you know tough but fair oh no 100 100 100 that was just me the personal fan side of me coming out a little bit to defend <laughs> kyle shanahan but if we're talking you know with me having oh that's funny <laughs> hey my dad means a lot in terms of my interest in the 49ers so yeah i definitely do mention him quite a bit but um, yeah, 100%. But if we're talking about just like the dig in general, yeah, it was hilarious. It was funny. It was a good dig for sure. I would love for someone to ask Kyle Shanahan about his drop back passing game. Is it as sophisticated as your run game? Do you have as many calls in there as you have play actions or stuff like that? And just hear Kyle's response. And maybe Kyle does say like, hey, we, we don't want to have a robust drop back passing game because that's not you know the game script that we want to get in. But I think it'd be worth asking Kyle oh 100 100 I mean there's so many things worth asking Kyle that just don't get asked right so well. it's like well, these are all things Rob we can wish and pray for but people don't seem to want to write articles that answer interesting questions for whatever reason so it is what yeah it is. uh how about this relax bro on YouTube says bring your dad on the pod no my dad would never come on why not? We're nice. He, oh, he, he has no problem with it. He just doesn't like it. He doesn't even like me doing it that much. He's a big me. He's a media hating fan. So like wow. now, now he's like, he's like a little bit better on the media because I guess his son does a little <laughs> bit in there and my dad doesn't, I hope he doesn't hate me at least, but yeah, he's a media hating fan. 187 on YouTube again. So Kyle stinks now, LOL. No, nobody said that. But like, we got to get out of this mode of if you say one thing about somebody that you think they're awful or you think they're terrible. Like, no, every coach has strengths and weaknesses. Every player has strengths and weaknesses. Every YouTube host has strengths and weaknesses. 100%. It's And it's okay to talk about them. And, and maybe this is an area where Kyle Shanahan needs to improve. That's all. Right. And I, I feel like... Even with him, I, I think a lot of the discussion, a lot of too many people look for conclusions, right? Like he's a leader or he isn't a leader. He's this or he isn't this. But a lot of it is just circumstantial. And I think one thing I enjoy not to, to you know pat both of us on the back is I enjoy that we come on here for an hour every week and we don't talk about conclusions. We just talk things through with details and I hope other people can form their conclusions. I have certain conclusions formed in my head you definitely have certain conclusions formed in your head. That's just part of being a human being. But the point isn't to just 
put our biases out there and have everyone just agree with our conclusions. That doesn't matter. It's the process. It's the analysis that matters. And I guess with Shanahan, where it comes down to is that when you criticize him or you talk about something he may have done or may have done incorrectly, it turns into, so you think he's a, not a good coach. You want right. to go back to Tom Sula. You want to go back to Chip Kelly. <laughs> no, that's not what it is at all. It's just kind of the process of, Hey, he's the head coach of this football team. He's been successful for seven years, but he's also not been perfect. And like he says, by no means was it perfect. Sometimes we have to talk about why with him, by no means it was perfect. A hundred percent. And Look, you know, like you said, I have my opinions. I definitely do. But part of the reason that I bring on people to do shows with is because I want people that disagree with me. Come at me. Tell me why my opinion is wrong, because the way I look at it is if I can't defend it against your argument, then I need to change my opinion. So I want people to come at me and disagree. That's good because I ultimately want to get to the truth. And so I listen to what people say. I watch what they do. I listen to what they don't say, what other people say, and I form my opinion. But then I want to see, I don't know necessarily that it's the truth. I just make the best argument for it. And if someone can change my mind, I'm all for that. I'm open to that. That's why I would love to sit down with Kyle and he could explain in great detail why I'm an idiot and why I'm wrong about every single thing. I would love that. People think, you know, oh, he would take the L. Like I would happily take the L because I just want to know the truth. And I, I 100% agree with you, and I know we have to go. We've you know, been quite there on the time here, and you don't necessarily love how long our podcasts seem to get always. <laughs> but the one thing I want to mention is that's the one thing I've never understood about, especially as I you know, learn more and more about, I guess, the human side of the business. And I mean that from the relation side between media to players and coaches. I don't understand why it's so adversarial. Uh, that relationship like I don't understand why coaches and media feel like adversaries they should be on the same team the media is telling the story and it's their job to represent that story correctly and they're telling your story and it's your job to give them details so your story is represented correctly and it feels like there's certain questions that don't want to be asked because you don't want to piss the guy off and then there's certain things that are said because you don't want to give a particular answer. But the more honesty and details there are, to me, it's that's how the story is represented better. That's how the story is represented in a way that's honest and fair and real to everybody. And sometimes when, you know, there's disconnect in how people talk, right? Like when a coach says Sam Darnold and uh, Trey Lance are splitting reps and, you know, they're in a competition. But then also from that same breath two sentences later says, I thought Trey Lance was going to have a massive season in 2022 <laughs> right. and be establish himself as that guy. You have to ask him what changed. Yeah. Well, that's why I don't think they're necessarily on the same side, but the media's job is to bring understanding to the fans. And so sometimes in order to get that understanding, you have to ask tough questions. And so I think that's, I think the coaches and the players sometimes take that as a criticism necessarily. And it's not how it's meant. At least when I think of quote unquote, tough questions, I just want understanding, just explain why. And if there's a difference in something you've said in the past and to now explain why that's different. Yeah. And I guess maybe same side didn't exactly express that correctly. What I meant is same side, meaning that the story just has to be told honestly so like right. that, you know, the, when you're questioning Kyle Shanahan on that, what you're doing is you're being fair to Trey Lance's story, right? You're not letting Trey Lance's story be told 
by Kyle Shanahan in this way where he goes from natural quarterback to dual threat in two years, but <laughs> he's played four games. He goes God. from, hey, Kyle, you said you didn't want to sign Ky Colin Kaepernick in 2016 because you didn't want that style quarterback, and you said Trey Lance is totally different because he's a quarterback that can run, and now you say he's a dual threat. So explain how these things changed. You're representing the story fairly for Trey Lance there. And I want to get to this comment, too, before we go. If you don't have an off-the-record relationship with management and players, you'll rarely get the real answer on hard questions. Off-the-record relationship does matter, and it's I think it does help with the question, the answers to the questions you ask. But that can't stop you from asking the tough questions publicly. And I think that's the difference with the 49ers media. I think that they probably do ask tougher questions off the record because it's always easier to ask tougher questions off the record. But the point of the job is to get the public answers and to ask the tougher questions publicly. Yeah, I actually don't even know why the 49ers media is the way they are, to be honest. It's not like they're benefiting greatly from being this way. I live in Chicago. I follow East Coast media. When a big story is broken on the Giants, do you think it's Adam Schefter that breaks it first, or do you think somebody in the local Giants beat also gets a break on it? Mm -hmm. Same thing in Philadelphia. Same thing in Chicago. Same thing in all these big cities. And then whereas with the 49ers, only the mainstream national media breaks the big stories on the 49ers, and the stories that the beat gets is – Hey, 49ers just signed this undrafted free agent. And it's a, <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that or making fun of that. That's not a story I'm breaking. So it's definitely impressive that they're doing that, but I don't understand why they don't hold the organization's feet to the fire as much, because I would understand if they're greatly benefiting from it because they're breaking all these stories and getting all this attention, but they're not getting that as much national attention as other, you know, big reporters in, other media markets because they're not able to break the stories that they should be breaking. Right. The quid pro quo is, Hey, if we're going to take it easy on you and not ask the tough questions, you get a credential. That's what it is. Right. It should be like, Oh, we're going to get sit down interviews with these people. We're going to get that. But the only guy that ever gets to sit down is Matt Mayoko who gets one with Shanahan and he gets one with Lynch well, every he year. Works, he basically works for the organization now. So right. that's different. And, but that's, you don't want that. That, that doesn't serve us. Do you working for the organization as like the head godfather of beat writers? That doesn't so that doesn't do me any good. 49ers have a website. They don't need Matt Mayoko's help. If they want to get their message out there, they can do it without anybody else's help. So that that's the frustrating thing for me. Definitely. That's something I've vented about multiple times oh, on this show. And I'm sure I will in the future. But it was nice today, Vish. We we had a quarterback conversation that I felt like was not angry you know like we or just kind of got into it and we kind of separated things out a little bit. it was rational yeah and it had really really easy flow i mean i think you texted me that you wanted to talk about purdy but you and i obviously didn't know the format but like i thought the conversation flow was really really easy and it was natural and that's the best part when when the conversations like that it makes it really really fun to do shows like that so shout out to you stats for all shout you out do. to us this just in we're great why you should like and subscribe to the gold standard youtube channel and also vicious youtube channel where this is also airing uh so like and subscribe to both and please leave us a rating on the podcast gold standard 49ers uh please go leave us a rating and a review a lot of you left negative reviews when sb nation laid me off which i appreciated but now that we own the feed Ooh. the star rating went down so we got to get the star rating back up so please leave a five-star rating and a review and i promise if you do 
we will read it on the show. Vish, I hope you have a fantastic week. I know we're going to talk like eight more times throughout the week. Yeah, we always 100%. do about the 49ers. But I hope everything is good. And uh, thanks again for all the support, everybody. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.